You're listening to the Fire in a Hole podcast with Richard and Jason, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and a cast. If you want to keep the show free and help us keep the lights on, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you have ideas for the show, we'd like to come on the show, uh, don't hesitate to drop us a line at Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another Fire in a Hole one-shot. Uh, one-shots are a sort of um, semi-irregular um, mini-episodes, as it were, uh, where either myself or my partner in crime, Richard, interview someone on the go, uh, someone in a, either a remote location or someone who's hard to get a hold of, or just circumstances basically put us in the same room, uh, and they have something cool to talk about. Now, on that subject, I've uh, caught up this week to my good friend, uh, JDC, uh, who is a lifelong comic book aficionado, um, very likely ri- at least rivals uh, our former guest David Michaels uh, as a comic book scholar, uh, but certainly his uh, obsession and uh, devotion to the art form is uh, unparalleled as far as I've seen. So JDC is uh, not only a cool guy who loves comic books to the core and storytelling, period, he's a writer. And uh, he's been hard at work on his latest project, Conceptual Heist, uh, which is a cool, I think he describes it as a a jazz punk, uh, a futuristic jazz punk uh, storyline. Very interesting, um, very off the wall, and um, I think a lot of you would would love it. It's currently on Kickstarter, um, uh, growing funds for its launch. I strongly recommend that you check it out. I think you'll love it and definitely support it if you like what you see. Otherwise, uh, J- uh, JDC and I sat down. We talked a little bit about comic books as a as a storytelling device. Uh, some of our or some of our inspirations as children or as young young adults, as, as far as what inspired us to love comic books and why we love them still. And uh, he gets into a little bit of his project. He talks about uh, um, conceptual heist a little bit. Gives us a preview of why uh, we might dig it. So check it out. This is a Fire in a Hole one-shot with Jason and Mr. JDC. Fire in a Hole. There are lots of ways to make money, but art theft is the only one that screws over people who deserve it. No one ends up dead, and it really only hurts billionaires. And what's one billion when you have 200 more? And I also get to play with some very cool toys. It's weird. We go back, right? Yeah, we go back... uh... At least Long a couple years. Yeah. Uh, actually, my author photo in the back of my in the back of my book is actually your photograph of me. So. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. The photo that's me holding uh, the flyers for the unfinding of Erasmus Civitatum. Oh right, right, yeah. Uh, this was at the Comic Con. At, at the Ottawa Comic Con when Ottawa you were. Yeah, well, I'll be actually going back to the Ottawa Comic Con this year uh, to help uh, launch a project there to do a panel. So, um, I don't know, are you doing the Comic Con this year? I am hoping to get into Ottawa. I am in Montreal Comic Con. Yeah. We're also doing East Coast Comic Con. Um, April 2nd, we are at uh, Fantasticon here in town. Okay. I can't remember where that is right now, but it's here in Montreal. We'll drop the links. We'll find, yeah. the, we'll find the links. I guess before we get into where you're going to be and for what, <laughs> should give people a little bit of a background. So would you describe yourself? I, I feel comfortable describing you primarily, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, you're basically a writer. That's kind of like yeah. your, 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 main, your main bag, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a writer of comics, yeah. uh, are my 
main endeavors these days. Um, I have I've written a novel. I haven't published it. I've done an ebook of short stories called Offerings and Others. Mm -hmm. uh, have you always written like? Yeah, I've always been focused on storytelling in some creative endeavor or other. Um, when I was a kid, I think the first time I was really focused on a career uh, was when I was 11, 12, 13 years old. I wanted to be a comic book artist. Uh -huh. Was I, it something I, that set you off? or um, Was there some, a particular story or a particular comic book that inspired you? I don't know. I started drawing... Uh, Garfield okay when I was a kid I started drawing Garfield and just constantly copying him off the Saturday papers and trying to get it right uh -huh. I got the head right finally and then I was like trying to get the mouth right and trying to get every little detail I remember like the first drawing of mine that I ever put up on the wall was a picture of Garfield and the bit that I loved about it was I nailed the hand which is really tough to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I nailed Garfield's hand, which for some reason took me months to do. Managed to nail it, and I'm like, excellent. I, I loved reading the um, Saturday comic strips and that, and then I got into G.I. Joe yeah, comics. Course. I mean, we're, we're, we're from the same generation, right? So yeah. we were, you could say we were really uh, um, spoiled. Yeah. I mean, we were the target demographic, I think, for a lot of, of the TV entertainment. Yeah, and some of the great stuff. Yeah, some of the best stuff came out. Yeah. Some of the first collabs between the East and West, like yeah. the Asians and the Americans and the Europeans kind of started to oh, yeah. collaborate and start doing cool, some cool shit together. Like, I mean, when I started, I was like, oh, well, comics are for kids. I'm not going to be reading comics my entire life. And then I read G.I. Joe number 21, the silent interlude, and I was like... I am in for life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there was a catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about the, the comic book um, medium that, that, that is so compelling to you? Um, there's a couple of different aspects to it. Um, and it's all sort of comments that other people made. There's the fact that comics are words and pictures. Uh -huh. And as... Um, and I'm blanking on the name today, of course, but uh, the guy who did American Splendor. Um, I, I feel like I, I yeah. feel like I know that theme, but I'm going to look yeah. it up while you're talking. Yeah. Uh, but he said, uh, comics are words and pictures, and there's nothing you can't do with words and pictures. Right. Uh, and he's such a fantastic. Like he was just a great creator, in and how he wrote comics was really strange. He'd draw them out. Uh, really rough and then have a better artist redraw his comics. Oh, interesting. Okay. So there's always like storyboarding. Yeah. Um, uh, Harvey uh, Harvey Picard. Harvey Picard, right. Yes. Okay. So um, he, would, he would sort of um, scribble it out as best as he could and then he'd have a professional basically take a crack at it. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was how he started. He, uh, Robert Crumb was actually the first guy to redraw his stuff. Uh -huh. um, Alan Moore made the comment that um, comics had not had their war and peace. They hadn't had their great novel. They didn't have their Brothers Dostoevsky. Right. Huckleberry um, fan, Tom Sawyer. Yeah. Uh, comics haven't had their great seminal piece. It hasn't had its Citizen Kane. Uh -huh. um, Do you still feel like that today, or at the time they said that? Well, he said that 
in the 80s or 90s, and to a degree he's right. There's different pieces and different ways that comics have been phenomenal. I don't think I have read a comic as phenomenal as Saga, or a comic that has used the format of words and pictures so well. Very quickly, what's the premise of Saga? Saga is a science fiction Romeo and Juliet epic about a family uh, of these two races that have been at war for generations and the two members of these race fall in love and have a daughter and it's about that family sort of growing up it starts off as uh, Hazel just being born as a newborn baby and then you see her when she's a little bit older like three or four years old and then when she's in kindergarten throughout the story arc and she's narrating the whole series Okay, so it's, but, it's an epic. Oh, it really it's is a epic. He's aiming for about 120 issues in the series. Okay. So, okay, so it seems to me that even though Garfield uh, is more of a one-off, you know, it's all very short, little shorts, tiny little shorts. Um, the, you fir- the first, the comic that you, you first thought of as, as kind of a masterpiece or like a, a seminal work of fiction is something that has like this beginning and an end, this kind of huge yeah. arc. It's a journey. Yeah, uh, it's. I'm a big fan of um, a beginning, middle, and end. Uh-huh. I think there's, like, I mean, there's obviously a place for Spider-Man going on forever and the X-Men going on forever. Sure. But even the X-Men... For the longest time, we're all about change and doing something new and different. Yeah, they had arcs. You, you could say and in a way they, they you they, had new teams. Yeah, exactly. You, that's kind of how they refreshed it, right? Yeah, they did. Uh, uh, they, they've stopped doing that, though. Right, because now it's more just these story arcs, right? Yeah, and they have these like one one. They piece. have these story arcs. They're not creating as many new X Men. They're not reinvigorating the team on a regular basis. It's sort of like, oh, we have an X-Men team that's Cyclops, Angel, Beast, Jean Grey, and Iceman. Right. But we're going to change it up by making Iceman gay. Great. I, ha- I, it's, I like the idea of gay Iceman. I just, it's not a new story. Right. So they're just, essentially, they're, um, it's almost uh, the same pattern as uh, classical music. Um, yeah. Uh, where there were these great pieces, and there was these new pieces, and there was just a lot of music being written constantly. And then slowly, as these these uh, great these timeless pieces began to emerge, that people just kept, yeah. like the theaters and the concerts, just kept bringing back. Right, what you oh, started yeah. to have is composers writing variations on the themes, right? Yeah, essentially doing remixes. Yeah, covers. Uh, it's in truth the major, the large end and industry of comics, of superhero comics. It's just fan fiction at this right. point. Yeah, it's true. It's basically <laughs> what if. Remember the what it's, ifs? Yeah, it's Elseworlds. Yeah. Like they keep. Oh, it's of, totally that. They were the precursor to what the regular comics would be eventually. Oh yeah. Oh, what if Wolverine uh, had been a cyborg or yeah. whatever, right? Wolverine is a cyborg. He has mechanical arms. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, yeah, right. So they covered that one. Everyone, everyone remembers uh, what if ba- uh, uh, Wolverine was the Lord of the Vampires. Remember that one? Oh yeah. And uh, then they start to get really silly. Like, what if Venom was a sh- uh, like a like a Vegas show tunes guy? I don't yeah. know. Like they were. I don't know. I I think the best little pitch that I've ever heard on a what if or anything was uh, about 10, 15 years ago at San Diego Comic Con. Apparently, a kid walked up and asked a question, 
at a uh, Joe Casada panel, uh-huh. and uh, he asked, um, "Why hasn't Hulk gotten infected with venom?" Okay. And Joe Casada stopped, looked at everybody on the panel, like Bendis, Mark Wade, all these guys. They were all stunned. Uh, uh, they're all sitting there. Their jaws drop. Casada looks at up and down the road. He's like, "You guys are all fired." You have a job, kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's 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 it's it's always it's one of those things where like when when those uh, movies or songs or stories yeah. that comes out, you're like, how has no one thought yeah. of making this? Yeah. Be combining these two elements. Oh yeah, it's yeah, Venom yeah. Hulk is is, uh, is terrifying. <laughs> yes, uh, it's like uh, you know, so, uh, I guess it's akin to um, the cosmic force uh, yeah. inhabiting Spider-Man. Yeah, that right? it's. Honestly, it, shortly after that, that was when I stopped reading Spider-Man as a kid. Okay. I, Todd McFarlane was gone. Uh, Todd McFarlane had managed to teach me how important a good writer was on a comic because his Spider-Man run was awful. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it was beautiful to look at. I remember the covers; same. they were they were yeah. epic. But the, the storylines were not Terrible. memorable, anyways. I can't, yeah. I can't recall it's, a single one. He, he was trying to make Spider-Man dark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like he was trying to spawn Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, right. And then short, shortly afterwards was the Exodus, right? Yeah. The, it was the Exodus of the, the, the original image, seven uh, guys, right? Okay. Cool. So you read the saga. You, you, you're infatuated with comics for pretty much your whole life. Yeah. When do you, when do you first take a crack at it, like as a serious thing? Um, I took several. Uh, it's I took several swings at it over the years, um, and I sort of hit this point where it was like swing, miss, swing, miss, swing, miss, and then I sort of would give up and focus on something else. Right. Um, I thought I was doing really well at one point because I was actually working in film. I actually had a writing gig to do a screenplay adaptation of a graphic novel. Uh-huh. I absolutely was in love with it. I had a blast doing it. I had a blast talking with the writer and creator of it. Uh, we had talked a little bit about doing something, but then things just fell apart. And as things do, and then I had a crisis in my life where I just sort of let go of everything. I let go of everything and sort of disappeared from the world for about five, six years. Uh, but during that time, all I did was sit down and read books and read comics, and I studied comics for five years. Um, there have been points, my comic knowledge has actually seeped away a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I call it dad brain. <laughs> <laughs> dad brain. It's yeah. got a, that's a thing. Yeah. That's um, a thing, definitely. But there was a point where I'm pretty sure I could have out-knowledged almost Anybody except for Matt Fraction okay. about comics. So you were all over that shit. Oh, yeah. yeah, there was a time for me too. I mean, I've never been a, I've never been a, what you call a, a fanatic of anything. But when I was growing up as a kid, uh, I, I was still very much in my sort of immigrant mentality, and uh, that was one of the most crucial avenues or tools. Uh, yeah, it was one of the most important inroads for me culturally to North America, right? It contained these things that to others, anyone born here might be sort of, you know, totally normal and unremarkable. But to me, it almost kind of taught me the dynamics of like, okay, what constitutes like a a story 
what co what stories do pe the stories that people tell a people tell uh, repeatedly yeah. and, and, and in continuing are very indicative of their values of their interests yeah. of their narratives so without knowing it it was kind of an education and also it taught me English right pretty yeah. much that with a little television um, pretty much is where I picked up English for the first time when I was like eight yeah. nine years old and uh, this was the time where comic book shops were everywhere yeah right you could have you could pay your little 10 bucks or what it was a month oh yeah and, and you had your little backboards there and the oh yeah and you, you could have your titles sort of uh, yeah. sorted away oh, for yeah. you every month. It's, I, I miss the days where I used to go into the comic shop spend 15 bucks on a Friday night yeah come home with a stack of comics that was uh, four or five inches deep yeah, yeah. And spend the night reading comics. Yeah, they were like fifty cents, yeah. seventy-five cents yeah. each. Uh, the if they had some sort of uh, um, you know anniversary or whatever, uh, like hologram cover, they'd be like a buck twenty-five, and you'd yeah. be like, "Ooh, do I get this one or oh, do yeah. I get two yeah. And for the price?" Oh, of it's them. when they went up when DC went up to buck eighty-five for most of the, for a chunk of their titles. That hurt. It hurt everybody. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> that was a, a great depression. Yeah, <laughs> our crash of of. Uh, so what was your first comic? My comic? Uh, wow. Okay. I have... I just realized that I remember it, and I didn't know that I remembered it <laughs> until you asked me. So my very first experience with comic books goes back to the age of about four, but I didn't know it was a comic book, or I didn't know before. Basically, I was living... We were living in, uh, in uh, communist Europe at the time. Yeah. This was just shortly before we emigrated to Canada. And... Um, we uh, lived next door to uh, down the hall from a, a bunch of guys from Madagascar, which was they were super exotic to us, yeah. right? To me, I was like, "Hey, other brown guys, cool, <laughs> right?" But uh, what the hell were they doing there? I think they were students, basically. They were coming to study there. That's what they were doing there. And they, uh, one of them, I sort of took me under his wing, and he would uh, periodically travel back to Madagascar. And as you know, it's a French colony or former yeah. French colony, so he would come back with like. Uh, um, he would come back with French comics, right? Okay. Uh, Spirou, Quéquet um, Fluquet uh, was another one, which I think might be German. But in any case, anything that was published in France, he could get his hands on. And he gave me a copy of uh, Rahan. I don't know if you know Rahan. Uh, it would be Rahan, I guess, if you wanted to say it in English. Yeah. This is a comic book that I want to option one day and actually adapt <laughs> to film, because no one remembers this comic. Uh, except maybe some francophone people here because they were exposed to it. But essentially, it was a hardcover comic book and it was incredibly well drawn. Like the art yeah. even today would, would stand out because it, it had different bo um, body types. Yeah. It wasn't just like the same type of the character. Same muscle bound. With... Yeah, yeah. No, uh, and it was about this caveman uh, named Rahan and he, was, uh, he, was, he had blonde hair. So he was very unusual looking. But his features were very African. Like he looked like a caveman and he looked like a man from his time. But he had this freakish blonde hair and they, everyone called him fire hair, right? And for, for very obvious uh, post-colonial secretly probably uh, uh, racist <laughs> reasons he was smarter than everybody <laughs> but well they didn't really dwell on that what the interesting thing with Rahan was is he was a caveman scientist and okay. kind of a caveman scientist and detective so he was strong he could fight he had figured out how to make a weapon uh, a, a little knife out of uh, ivory 
and he even had a little sheath, which was, this was like high tech, because everyone else yeah. is running around with stone spears, right? And he would do this thing where he would observe, relate things happening in nature and figure things out, right? Like, so yeah. when, whereas like thunder would strike and then the tribes would go running and there'd be like this, this uh, tree on fire, he would be like, he would start to figure out the correlation between the thunder and the, yeah. and then he realized that if you put something at the edge there, it would hit it again. And, He'd start to figure out basic science, right? And then he would travel, and he would it would be like a, it would be episodic, right? Like there's a there's a some sort of giant tiger terrorizing a village. He'd figure out how to kill it. Um, he would get kidnapped, and they'd want to eat him. And then he'd find some way to talk his way out of it. And he would always teach everyone a little little lesson about life. And then at the end of every episode, he would put his little knife on a stone, and he would spin it, and whichever way it pointed, he would continue it was like a this i didn't know at the time but it was like a, a an homage to obviously tarzan which was one yeah. of the first kind of superheroes um this memory of course i forgot about and then many many years later something like seven or eight years old i remember walking into this store and i saw a copy of uh, iron man but in french so these were the first printings of the French copies of 80s Iron Man comics. And it was really weird because it was the I picked up the first issue of that I picked up was the one where Tony Stark is basically going on a bender. Okay. Right? Like he starts drinking really heavily and he's starting to fly around drunk and Rhodey's trying to like stop you know, him and get him to at some point he has to straight up just take his armor from him because yeah. he's, he's, he's got a five o'clock shadow he's barfing inside of his armor so that was my strange and you all put the armor on after that yeah exactly <laughs> that was my strange introduction to, to, yeah. to mainstream comics as yeah. well. what was it for you what was the first um, one up far from Garfield ever okay I, I vaguely remember Star Wars number one uh -huh. and not liking it Right. Because it wasn't... It was kind of a tie-in more than an actual um, comic, no? I don't even remember. I just remember nobody looked like the people in the movie. Okay. So I didn't like that it. That pissed you off. <laughs> um, I also... The first comic series I really got into was G.I. Joe. I fell in love with the G.I. Joe comics and that. Uh -huh. um, I was a big G.I. Joe freak, too. Yeah. Uh, I tried the Transformers. I wasn't a fan of that. Um, the thing is that my mom had a catering store when I was a kid, and right next door was a um, little pharmacy with a spinner rack of comics. Right, they used to put them on those yeah. little racks. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know those spinner racks go for like five hundred bucks. Are you serious? Now, yeah. If you find a spinner rack sitting out on the street corner, run, grab it, <laughs> take it home, clean it up, wow. toss it on eBay. That's good to know. Yeah. Because I know I might know where to find some. So, but they're that yeah. they're that expensive. They are that expensive. Because no one just no one fucking makes them. Yeah, nobody has them anymore, nobody makes them. Right. Um, I would love to get one because I'm running out of shelf space. Uh -huh. uh, right now I have I think it is two and a half feet worth of comics. Yes, I actually measure how much how many comics I have by the inch now. <laughs> Not how many books I have to read. I right. read, measure them by inch. Uh -huh. um, and I have about two and a half feet of comics to read through that I've had stacked up beside my bed over the past year. It's like year furniture. And, <laughs> um, and then I have to shelve all that into bookshelves that are already full. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge pain in the ass. Uh, I completely understand. Yeah, but I think my first ones were in GI Joe, and used to go into these, go and grab. My mom would we go over on the Friday, and my mom was like, "Go buy some comics and stay out of our hair." Right. Uh, so I go buy a comics. That would be GI Joe and something. I remember I picked up. Um, during that time, I ended up picking up uh, Craven, the last two issues of Craven's Last Hunt. Right. Was that McFarlane? No, that was written by Jim Demetrius, and I can't remember who drew it. Okay, so Craven the Hunter uh, going after uh, Spider-Man? Uh, yeah, I, it's not the last two issues, uh, parts four and five uh. of it, where it's Spider-Man finally comes out of the grave because the story arc was... Yeah, he buried him at some he, point. Right? He knocked him out for a week, buried him for a week, took over the role of Spider-Man, and then came oh, yeah, back. yeah, that's right, that's right. And then Spider-Man comes out of the grave and fights him, and he's Spider-Man's trying. He comes out of the grave, goes back home, and he's like, "What's going on?" And then he goes to fight Craven. He fights Craven again, takes down Craven. But Craven's like, "It doesn't matter. I've beaten you. I have done my greatest quest." I'm the ultimate hunter. Yeah. And then Spider-Man goes off to go face uh, Vermin, the other bad guy that was running around in that. And Craven sucks off a shotgun. Right. Because he's like, I have done everything I could possibly imagine doing in this lifetime. So I'm done. Suicide, yeah. And that affected me for well, that was my a, entire life. That, that's uh, Optimus getting killed uh, sort of level. Yeah. It doesn't usually happen. Yeah. It's, it was um, a, I think of it as a, uh, is it Mishima? Is it, uh, no. Um, God, is it Mishima? It's a Japanese writer who uh, wrote, who was a great big writer, was a big fan of Japanese nationalism okay. after World War II. And he wrote this uh, quartet of novels called The Sea of Tranquility. And he said, when I finish writing this thing, I will have written everything I will have ever wanted to write. Oh, it's one of those. This is my opus. Yeah. No, and, no, nothing further needs to be said. And he had a bunch of followers, and he was big into samurai life. He wrote a whole story about uh, committing seppuku. Uh -huh. um, and uh, the guy was actually a homosexual as well. Oh, that had to be easy. Very closeted. Yeah, like a motherfucker. Yeah. Um, but. At the, he finished writing it, and then he went to, after a Japanese base, and he tried to sort of rally the troops, and they just laughed at him. Uh -huh. So before the authorities could come and kill him, he actually committed seppuku, and his second took like three or four hacks to take off his head wow. during the whole thing. And that was four hours after finishing his last novel. Jeez, talk about like uh, dying for your art and all that yeah. stuff. It's <laughs> not fucking around. Like but this. I've always, I've always had this. Well, if you're done, well, don't do that. Though. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, I mean, I have a son. My work of art doesn't finish. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you had a son just to make sure that you will never ever consider doing that. Should you ever complete your work? Yeah. No, but I mean, uh, I, I can certainly understand it. Uh, yeah. Writers, period. I mean, comics yeah. or otherwise. Uh, yeah. it, there are very few art forms that I've seen that are so all-consuming. Yeah. It happens. You're alone with your head. Oh yeah. Um, the writing is almost. Um, I wouldn't wish writing on anybody. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a good <laughs> it, quote. It, it it sucks in so many ways, but at the same time, I'm living the life I've always wanted. Uh -huh. 
I'm writing full time yeah. and I have my son. I take care of him. I make dinner for him and my fiance in the evenings. We sit down like it's pretty much as a yeah. bit of a setup as you can ask to be yeah. able to immerse it's, yourself into yeah. that. It's just now I just want to do better and make it better. Sure. I want to do everything I do from here on out. It's just do it better, be better, be a better father, be a better uh, husband, partner, uh, be a better writer. Anything. Yeah. yeah. Just optimize. Yeah. And it's. But it's, although at the same time, we've gotten very lazy because it's sort of like, well, what do you want to do tonight? Well, I just want to sit on the couch and be with you. I'm happy here. Right. And it's sort of like, this is exactly where I want to be. It can make you lazy, but at the same time, I appreciate what I have. Yeah, and you, you're yeah. certainly still searching for answers. I mean, yeah. you're, still, you're still writing and you're still working and you're still... Oh, yeah, I'm still trying to push and it's... Um, like, I mean, I have Conceptual Heist running now. Right. I have a short story that I think I have an artist for. Uh, I have a kid's comic that I want to be doing. I have a few other things. A lot of I things have, on your plate. Okay. Well, I even have the projects I have for after uh, Conceptual Heist for Matt and I. Each book I work on is just cheap therapy where I'm struggling with some issue going on with myself or the world. So... Yeah, Saga was basically the terror and joy and excitement of becoming a parent. But realizing, like, if you try and describe that to other people, like, you just watch their eyes glaze over, and no one wants to hear you talk about your boring kids. So by setting in this sort of grand space opera universe, I was hoping to sort of give you the feeling of what it's like to create something. Conceptual Heist is your current sort of yeah. focus, right? Yeah. How, where, where, where did this project come from? How, when did it start? All right, um, I was working as a video game tester and Matt was the guy who was forced to spend 40 hours a week sitting beside me, listening to me natter on for hours. About your ideas? <laughs> about my ideas, about comics and that. Fortunately, he had his own comic series, uh, Yonioshi, if I okay. got that right. I probably didn't because I never do. Okay. Um, and I sort of talked to him about a series. I'm sort of like, well, make sure it's on an even regular schedule. Um, and I just sort of helped. So him. wait, you were, you, were telling, you were talking to him sort of like, hey, can I tell you about my idea? Or you were talking to him like, let's collaborate on this. Uh, I, he was working on Yonioshi and I said, well, would you be interested in working together on something? He's like, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, like hard shut down. Hard no. No. I, I, can't, I can't fault that, I gotta say. Yeah. I, I, I like a hard no. Yeah, I like and I was like, like all right, no problem. You don't want to work? He's like, I'm just, I'm focused on what I'm doing right now. I'm like, okay. cool. Cool. As he was going on, I'm talking to him about comics theory, and it took about a year of us talking about comics theory, and he's doing the comic, and they sort and I'm like, really would like to work with you on something someday. He's like, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh -huh. And we started talking about something like ideas and that I'm like he draws and writes or uh, he draws and writes his own comic but he much prefers just drawing the just comic. drawing okay that's his baby okay. yeah um, and I pitched uh, a science fiction art heist and he's like yeah that could be cool and then I sort of said say that again just a science fiction art heist okay so like stealing art yeah but in a science fiction realm yeah okay so no, go on yeah. uh, setting 
like just doing that and I said I've had this stylized idea of like 1920s styles but in the science fiction realm so like the, okay so it, okay so like uh, like as in you have your diesel punk which yeah. which uh, imagines a future with like a 19 yeah. roaring 20s kind of feel you uh, have it, Victorian yeah. punk or, or yeah. rather steampunk this would be jazz punk jazz punk okay yeah so the jazz years yeah. But, uh, of course, uh, su yeah. super accelerated oh, flying cars, shit like that? Uh, hover cars. Uh -huh. We've got drones. Um, it has a lot of cyberpunk stylings and touches to okay. it. But it's all Jazz Age styles. Um, so cybernetics. Speakeasy. Yeah. Meets, like, Blade Runner. Yeah. And the upper echelons, a lot of the... Um, Great Gatsby sort of yeah. style. Okay. Yeah, I got that from the art, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And um, Art Deco. We were talking about it, and we were kicking the idea around for about about three or four days uh, at the office, and then Emily called called me up on a lunch hour one day, mm -hmm. and she's like, "I," because she hadn't been feeling well. She'd been throwing up everything she ate she finally went to the doctor and they were like well it might be gallstone so okay she went to the doctor and during the ultrasound it's sort of like you have gallstones but it also kind of looks like you're pregnant <laughs> oh shit <laughs> oh shit so i spent the rest of the day just smiling okay <laughs> um and yeah, you're like, you're sad, but you're happy. <laughs> like, sorry you have gallstones, baby, but... Yay! <laughs> okay. And then, um, the next day, I turned to Matt, and I sort of said, what if we did the comic this way? I said, what, what if it was one strip, we do one strip twice a week, and we run the story that way, so it's three strips, make up a page, and we can just tell the story that way. And Matt's like... Yeah, I can fit in two strips a week. That's not a problem. I can fit that in easily. Um, he didn't realize how much work actually goes right. into those two strips. Because right, right, it's right. about three hours work every strip. Yeah, man. I don't. I. That's always one thing that's amazed me about comic books, even the most uh, rudimentary yeah. ones, is how they're just able to churn out yeah. that much art. And, and, and with that oh, kind yeah. of consistency and yeah. merging and into the writing. And it's a hell of a lot easier on the writers than it is the artists. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Warren Ellis writes, two-page spread. U.S. Air Force fighter jets going up against alien ships from out another dimension across over the cityscape of Los Angeles. Right. <laughs> now draw that. That takes him <laughs> maybe two minutes to write, right. probably less, because he actually is probably a decent typist. Uh-huh. Takes Brian Hitch a week and a half to draw, and that's if he draws like a machine, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. No, that makes yeah. perfect sense. And how do you interpret that? And, yeah, and like how do you get it from brains? Like, yeah, oh, it's it's an absolute, yeah. it's a different skill set completely. Oh yeah, and um, the one thing that Matt will admit that I actually do better than him is I have a slightly better sense of how to set up a shot. Okay. Um, He's sort of like, if he would do it, gee, headshot, 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 headshot. Okay. But I, it's, because you, I spent... stylize it. Yeah, yeah, because I have the background with drawing, I did some photography when I was a teenager as well, mm -hmm. because I worked in film and actually, for the longest time, I wanted to be a film director. Uh -huh. And then I sort of realized that, no, I, 
love film. I'd love to make a movie, but I hate the film industry. Okay, I can see how that might have <laughs> I can see how that might have happened, sure. So I have these ideas of shots and how it needs to be framed. Uh -huh. um, and then, uh, so sometimes Matt will go, I don't know how this is framed, and I'll give him this really bad sketch. And he'll look at it and he goes, I can't tell what that is. And I point out what everything is. He's like, okay, I think I can do that. Uh -huh. <laughs> and um, like I, I conceive of most of the covers. The only cover I didn't... I came up with the rough idea of Gemma holding the painting and the spacesuit for the first cover. Uh -huh. uh, but her hands were switched and Matt tried to make it work. He's like, I had like 18 different tries and tried it for a month. He couldn't get it. Just to couldn't work. nail it. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. the, these are stories yeah. you hear about in every yeah. sort of making of scenario yeah. where yeah. you think that they... <laughs> but actually, sorry. No, no, go ahead. What Matt did was he looked at it and he's sort of like, I'm going to use the basis. He used the layout of the old guitarist uh -huh. as the color layout for the first cover. Like if you look at the first cover and you look at the old guitarist, it's the same color layout and the same color balances. Even the background is similar, but set on a space station. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. And that's... That sort of set him up for a large headache down the road because each cover is going to be based on a classic painting. Now. Okay, uh, so <laughs> okay, so a good thing happened, but at the same time, uh, it yeah. set up a huge precedent. Okay. Oh yeah. So, uh, if we're if we're looking at conceptual heist, let's say as a as a novel or um, as a as a movie, right? Yeah. You're looking on the back of the DVD, what's yeah. what's the blurb? What's the synopsis? Without, of course, spoiling. Um, Science fiction, jazz punk, art heist, you never knew you always wanted. Okay. Uh, Eris Gemma Heiss. That's the main character? Yeah. Uh, Eris Gemma Heiss is a socialite, uh, part-time gallery manager, and she also happens to be one of the best art thieves in the entire world. Okay. So, master thief. Yeah. This uh, is, there's a, is there a yeah. year attached to this? Or uh, it's set in the year 2090. 2090. Okay. So, it's yeah. year 2090, master thief. Yeah. Socialite. Socialite, okay. and uh, the first chapter, uh, she steals the Picasso painting, the old guitarist. Uh -huh. Chapter two, she finds out that there's actually an offer on the market again to steal it back. Okay. And she's one of the only people who knows where the painting is uh -huh. because she just stole it. Right. So. Now she has the opportunity to steal it again and make... Try to double down on it. Yeah, okay. double down, except now she has to steal it out of a space station. Right. And I'm, I'm guessing there are contending forces that are, that are either trying to catch her, there are, there are um, rival, rival factions. Uh, it's mostly trying to make sure nobody knows that she's actually an art thief. Okay. It's all okay because she has like this dual identity thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she is... There are three people who know that she's an art thief, mm -hmm. and that's pretty much it. Okay. She keeps that fairly well. It's, she's really cocky about it, but she does keep. She does try to keep that life separate. Okay. Uh, and I'm I'm guessing she has a nemesis or some sort of um, somebody who who's, who chastises her. Uh yeah, it's. She has a couple of. Um, 
people who are stand up against her. There's um, Hanson Gao, who is the head of Heist Security, which was her father's security company. Okay. That Hanson bought out her controlling interests out from under her while she was grieving over her father. Ah, okay. After he died. So he, he took off with the company or he seized it? He seized a majority of the company, but she's still there as a vice president of R&D and he can't get rid of her. Okay. And she sort of uses that to her own advantage. Uh -huh. uh, she also works at an art gallery, um, sort of running security and doing some sales there. And uh, she'll occasionally consult with the police department when there's been a theft of some kind. Okay, so this is a lot of intrigue, a lot of yeah. hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, the, the the heist itself is is kind of the the, the big the, the big event, right? Yeah, that's the big event. Um, we actually have a rough plan for seven books. Okay. And. Um, the thievery is the skill set, but not the story in the long run. Right. In the long run, this is very much a Robin Hood story. Oh, I see. Okay. So, uh, someone who maybe not at the outset is yeah. concerned about the plight of yeah. the lower man? Well, actually, uh, in the second chapter, you see she's having breakfast at the beginning. She has a meeting with her fence knocks, and as she's going to work, she actually gets a second serving. A breakfast and hands it off to a homeless guy, okay. um, which starts a joke of Saint Gemma that's going to come and play back throughout the series. Okay, it's going to kind of plague her. Interesting. Yeah. Now, as this is a dystopia, is it, is it a bit of a dystopia? It's is a it, bit of dystopia. Um, like, are we talking? Um, you know, the the elite, the wealthy are in the crystal towers, and the and the and the poor are in the gutter. It's worse off than it is now okay um it's not as bad as i necessarily think it will be okay um but there's a larger planet work to make it worse okay so that it's basically a, uh things continuing continuing along the lines of yeah. the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer yeah okay and then uh in the context okay why art what what was the what's the art thing um, why, why were you interested in, in that? Is it just because you liked heist movies? Because you like the idea of... Yeah. I or? like heist movies. Um, and uh, because it's a comic, being able to sort of go in and sort of play with... Go in and sort of go, oh, I really like Picasso. Oh, I like this. Oh, that. And it's an excuse to sort of go and explore those artists to a certain degree. Right. Yeah, and I know if, if you're like me, uh, often whenever, sometimes when I'm writing, let's say, a screenplay, and um, some, some object comes along, right? Either an object that might have some sort of meaning, or I want to inject something around there with a little bit more of a background than just like, and she picked up the book. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it leads you off into these like Wikipedia adventures. Oh, yeah. Right? Where you start to like, and then you'll, you'll randomly pick a title that you remember, and you suddenly realize that it has some maybe profound link oh, to yeah. what you're talking about and it's now a perfect metaphor for what you're doing oh yeah uh, it's i've had that uh, it's i call it um it's i specifically love it when you've written yourself into a corner yeah and you're sort of sitting there and you're like i have no idea how to get through there and you're sort of looking through it and you're like 
oh, I have that. And you have that moment where you're like, I can walk through the wall. It's walking through walls as a right. writer. Yeah. And it's sort of like, oh, this is how I get out of here. Mm-hmm. And I love those moments. Um, that's, it's funny, writing this comic, I quite often have to write my way through a wall. Uh-huh. Um, like, I mean... Which I'm guessing the science fiction part, uh, yeah. sort of helps with that, right? Oh, uh, it's helped big time in a couple of places. Um, Matt actually has a bad habit of not reading ahead in the script. Okay. So there's a panel in the first chapter where Gemma jumps out of the car and the car keeps going. Uh-huh. Except that the car was actually supposed to have stopped. But it just keeps going? And it just kept on going and I'm like, I need to write the rest of this sequence really fast now. Right. <laughs> it has to be sorted out yeah, somehow. Uh, it's, I had to sort something out and it actually sort of locked things down. Um, the majority of drones in this world all have a similarity to animals in some form or other. Right, which actually uh, is interesting because I don't know how, how long ago you thought of this idea, but I was just reading today how the, uh, the direction in which the uh, automotive industry seems to be going with yeah. the driverless cars and yeah. the drones and stuff, as they seem to be wanting to kind of turn them into electronic pets. Yeah. Right, like uh, uh, they're putting out these concept cars now that like wink at you, <laughs> and they've got cute little names, and they they can follow you if you need to go somewhere like dark. They can you can just GPS, you know. So they're kind of developing these animal like uh, that's kind of a, a direction they're they're yeah. looking at. So this idea is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so everyone has a personal drone, or uh, no, no, it's you don't necessarily have a personal drone, but like I mean, uh, the first appearance was the sniffer drone, uh-huh. which uh, was a ball. I said make it look like a dog. And Matt decided to make it look like a... He said, what kind of dog? And I said, make it look like a Shih Tzu. It was a small ball. I was like, the guy pulls out a ball that turns into a small robot. And it's like a drone that's supposed to be sniffing the area and checking for anybody. So it's sort of like, okay, well, it would be a dog. And I'm like, well, started looking for hunting dogs. I'm like, a Shih Tzu is a hunting dog? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so, unless it's hunting for uh, cell phones. I don't know. I don't know, maybe a mouse and yeah. might be able to take one. <laughs> but it almost makes it interesting, right? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm guessing, uh, you know, you add humor. Like, you're, yeah. you're, I, I think Consensual Heist is funny, too. Oh, yeah, it's... Um, Gemma has a distinct sense of humor. Um, it's... I tend to play around with... Um, because Gemma has an education in classical art, she actually has a good knowledge of sort of classical history and theology and that sort of thing. So she actually had, it's, I actually dropped some really deep sort of classics and theological jokes okay. in there. Okay, okay, so just like references to really, yeah. really familiar sort of uh, mythos. Uh, yeah, uh, Noah's sang- sagging ball. Okay. Uh, Noah's sagging balls. <laughs> Uh, because Noah was 600 and some odd years when Supposedly, he died. Right. So if your testicles start dripping as you get older, uh-huh. I mean, when you're in your 60s, they're tapping the water. Right. What is it like when you're in 600? 
right, exactly. Right, they must be. Uh, they must be like uh, just sail. wrap it around the lake a couple you, of you, times. You can sail with it. <laughs> you can sail with it across the oceans. Um, sorry, I just take, I took a yep. picture of you because um, uh, Richard, uh, my partner in crime, currently is in Portugal. Uh, okay. So, and he actually just took took the opportunity to message me to just say like, hey, how's it going? What are you doing? So I just I didn't want to stop. I just wanted to be like, yo, I'm talking to Don. Fuck up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, that's great. So okay, um, what is your demographic? Who is this? geared towards is this um, a, a family thing is it a bit uh, of a more it's mature not thing? a it's not a family thing despite matt uh editing out uh fuck early on in the script okay uh, and the fuck actually came from christina uh Sandef, who, who inspired been, Gemma. right i was gonna mention that yeah yeah uh, shout out to christina yes love christina uh-huh. uh i asked her early on i said if you got your hand caught in the cookie jar what's your thought shit or fuck and she came back with, it's definitely fuck. <laughs> so I put in the narration, fuck, I didn't expect him to be here. And then Matt was like, I don't want the F-bomb. Shit. Okay. So, so it's a light, 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 mature. Yeah, light, okay. mature. Teenager to tweens. 30s. Teenager, tweens. Uh, my nieces who are eight and nine years old read it. Okay. All right. So yeah. it has, but then again, that, that generation. They live in Brooklyn, yeah. so they can get away with the swearing. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a well, good, good way of pointing it. So Christina Sandev was the uh, inspiration for, was kind of the template for Gemma. Yeah. Uh, I, I think our common friend, Sean Bechu, of course. Uh, uh, he's the basis for uh, Detective Cliff Noble. Okay. Who is sort of Gemma's nemesis in the first issue uh-huh. and he will be showing up again later in the series. This is a reoccurring character? Yeah. Okay. And there are some other people that we know that it's um, based on? Yeah. Um, Fred? Uh, Fred Nguyen yes. is uh, the basis of Hanson Gao, uh-huh. uh, the head of high security. Uh, Nelly Germain's son is the inspiration, is sort of the inspiration um, He's just sort of nodded to as Gemma's fence knocks, uh-huh. and uh, Amber Goldfarb plays is uh, the inspiration for um, Abigail, uh, Gemma's boss at the art gallery. Okay, so it's it's. I mean, uh, you were mentioning this earlier, but it's it's kind of uh, hilarious because. Not only have all these people been on the show accidentally, except for Amber. Except for Amber, that's right. Amber's the only person. Amber's next week. Uh, <laughs> Amber uh, is whenever we can get her, type of thing. Yeah. Um, because she's a busy girl, but she's, oh, she's most she's definitely. Uh, I mean, which is a good thing, right? I'm yeah. very happy for her, but um, <laughs> she's definitely, definitely uh, going to be making an appearance in the show. Yeah. But I mean, this is also, for me anyways, my, my link to these people are, of course, yeah. the, the, the Punisher No Mercy Project, yeah. which which will never die, apparently. No. <laughs> I still hear about it. I don't want it to die, but it's, no. it's so funny. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, and actually, here's the thing. Yes. Uh, co-writer of Punisher No Mercy, David LeBan, his two novels are referenced in the comic as well. Right. So Davila is another person that yeah. uh, I haven't have yet to interview, but yeah. he's up to great things, and we're going to get into that as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, before we run out of time, I just want to make sure we mention this. Okay. So Conceptual Heist, right now, you just launched a Kickstarter campaign, right? Yeah. Uh, we launched a Kickstarter on March 
6th. Okay. So uh, what is the goal? I mean, obviously it is to raise money, but what is it what is exactly the goal behind this uh... uh we are raising money for a print run of a thousand copies of Conceptual Heist and we are also getting it fully colored. Mm-hmm. Um a thousand copies is probably more than what we need, but uh, it was only $90 more to do a thousand copies than it was to do 500 copies. All right, well, that, that's a obvious, uh, it's a yeah. basic economic, uh, you know, equation that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, all right. So you're, 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 you're raising money for the first printing. What's the goal? Uh, the goal is 4,550 Canadian. Okay. Uh, I had to make the guess of going that high because I'm dealing with U.S. printing and a couple of U.S. things, and I don't know where the Canadian dollar is going to sit in the middle of April. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. Um, I mean, at at the same time, um, uh, this this is something that, I mean, I'm sure you've calculated, you've crunched the numbers, and you know that this is the amount that you need to go. Okay, Uh, can you uh, quickly talk about some of the perks? What what are some of the perks that come Uh, Well, we have... A couple of perks, high-end perks include uh, original, really close finished pieces of work from Matt. Uh, There are three spots for colored pieces, Uh and I think five slots for black and white pieces. Are they in frames, or? Uh, They're not gonna be framed, but they're gonna be 11 by 14 inches in size. poster size almost, okay. Yeah. All right, Um, so original art panels from, panels from the, from the, from the comic? Yeah, uh, actually not original art from the comic because he does everything digitally. Okay, so Uh, these are special, special drawings. Yeah, uh, you're not, going to have as much access to original art from Matt as you would a lot of comic book artists. Uh, we are doing prints of pages one and pa- page one and page eleven from the comic. Um, and those will only be offered through Kickstarters. Uh, we have our exclusive t-shirt, Star Heist. Yeah, I'm looking at one right now, and I'm going to post a picture. I'm going to take some more pictures of it. Yeah, <laughs> I literally did not notice what it was, but it's, it's, a, it's a really, really, really great shirt. And uh, whoever came up yeah. with that is it's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, it's, I love it. It's part of an aspect of our Patreon, actually. Okay. Where we're going to be doing uh, movie posters on a regular basis. And I believe the next one will actually be a tribute to... Uh, the train spotting poster. Oh, that's a great idea. Where I rewrote the opening monologue a bit of Conceptual Heist and uh, put it to the same uh, character count. Oh, I see, yeah. As the opening monologue of the train spotting where it was the poster that was just the opening Uh Choose Life. Oh, that's great. So I just used uh, um, the opening lines of conceptual heist but I go into a bit more detail and a few lines that had actually been cut from my initial draft okay uh, including facts like art theft uh-huh. did you know that's one of the highest grossing forms of criminal activity in the world okay but at the same time has the lowest conviction one of the lowest conviction, conviction rates. rates interesting okay so it's like cool. 20 to 30 percent of art theft uh-huh. 
is actually convicted. Huh. Caught and convicted. How interesting. It's like a, it's like a cool, uh, today I learned uh, Reddit uh, yeah. thread type of stuff. That's really cool. That's really cool. Right. Are you, uh, are you putting up any copies of the, of the, yeah. scri of the script of the... Uh, yeah. Uh, you can get, at uh, five bucks, you get a PDF of the comic, yeah. the script, including uh, behind-the-scenes notes. Uh -huh. uh, Ten bucks, you get the comic, the PDF of the comic. Um, we have prints of, we have a level where you can get a print of the chapter one, chapter two, or chapter three covers. Mm -hmm. uh, the chapter one is based on the Picasso, the old guitarist. Chapter two is based on the painting Nighthawks. Okay. And chapter three is based on Van Gogh's Starry Night. Oh, nice. Okay. That's where Matt really cool. Actually, Matt actually managed to uh, slightly improve on a Van Gogh painting. <laughs> wow. That's, a, that's saying a lot. So, uh, what's his full name? Uh, Matt, Matt Gagnon. Matt, Matt Gagnon. Yeah, okay. Matt G. Gagnon. So Matt G. Gagnon. He's, so he's your, he's your go-to artist yeah. for, for, this, for this portion of, anyway, of the yeah. story. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah. So... Um, uh, he, he's uh, co-owner and co-creator of the comic. Okay, so he's, he, okay, he's your partner in crime, literally. Yeah, okay. um, we own this 50-50. Great, that's awesome. Well, I strongly encourage anyone that, that's listening to uh, check out the... The, the Kickstarter page and support this project. Yeah. It's a very, uh, very cool project. Conceptualheist.com. Uh -huh. Actually, probably www.conceptualheist.com right. is the safer one. Well, I mean, everyone <laughs> just Google stuff now, so yeah. I'm sure they'll be able to find it. Yeah. Um, so if you reach this goal, which I, I, I really hope you will, um, you get the printings. Yeah. Does that lead to uh, the next book? Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to do a print run of Chapter 2. Uh -huh. Um, I think we may just leave it off until we get book one done. Uh -huh. And then we have, okay, you're interested in the comic, here's chapter one. And then when we're done book one, oh, and here's the trade paperback. Okay, I see. All right, well, I'll definitely be looking out for it. Um, I'm, so, I'm a big supporter of the project. Uh, before I go, I wanted to make, <laughs> this is kind of aside from conceptual heist, I wanted to apologize to you for um, uh, that it took so long to sit, sit down. Yeah. Uh, it's been absolutely crazy, so I appreciate you coming out tonight. Also, I want to apologize for every time I've sort of half-assed a reference to a comic book in this <laughs> older episode. Because for those that are listening, Dom is the guy that he's at home and he's <laughs> chomping at the bit whenever someone fucks up the trivia on something it goes like yeah yeah the time he wore that costume and he's the guy at home going no that didn't happen until issue 75 <laughs> so i apologize for every one of my lazy lazy comic book uh hey, references. I, I made uh there was when you uh were talking with uh jamie yes weekend, uh he made some and i'm like no that is wrong <laughs> i can't remember what it is but i remember listening and going He's wrong. <laughs> We're like, eh. well, we'll definitely have you back. Uh, okay. We'll definitely now that. Well, know, it's uh, we should do it after a comic book movie so we can convince. Yeah, that way. yeah, yeah. Definitely, we can we can chat about anything. Yeah. We can. Uh, you, you're uh, you're definitely welcome back, and uh, yeah. thank you for doing this. Is there anything else that you wanted to plug um, before you go? There's also my newsletter that I do with uh, Davle Leblanc, uh -huh. uh, Conceptual Transmissions. Uh, if you go to conceptualtransmissions.tumblr. Dot com. You can sign up there. There is also a uh, sign-up uh, hookup through conceptualheist.com. There's a link off to the side where you can get a seven-page preview of Conceptual Heist. 
and that'll sign you up for the newsletter where okay. Dav and I, every two weeks, we talk about what we're up to and then there's a discussion between the two of us about cool. something. All right, man. Well, we'll keep an eye on your project and um, I, I urge everyone else to do it. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for doing this, man. Thanks for having me, man. All right, man. Fire in the hole. Fire in the hole. All right. <laughs>